You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. finest fantasy only to return to your daily nightmare is your mother about to look younger than you do does the woman of your dreams I love you in my dreams I love you still have a few doubts then it's time to take a stand to break out of your dull, humdrum life and into Brazil. You're so pleased. You can make it right this way. It's about flights of fantasy and the nightmare of reality. We're all in this together. Terrorist bombings. I don't think it involves anything unsavory. Hey, trust me, Jack and late-night shopping. True love. You don't trust me? Trust you? Trust you? The man who hijacks my truck, loses me my job, has every security man in town looking for me? Of course I trust you. I was only trying to help. Yeah. And creative plumbing. There's a problem. Can you fix it? No, I can't. From Terry Gilliam, director of Time Bandits, Jonathan Price. Sam, what are we going to do with you? Robert De Niro. I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out, wherever there's trouble, a man alone. Catherine Hellman and Michael Palin. We've always been close, haven't we? Yes, Jack. Until this all blows over, just stay away from me. Brazil, it's only a state of mind. We're all in it together, kid. Hello again, and welcome back to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. This is Annie Rose Malamet, and today I'm here again with Tina Horn. Hi, Tina. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Ponytail flip that you can see, but they can't see because it's a podcast. Tina was on the podcast uh, some time ago where we did the thief, the cook, the... The the cook, the cook, the... Whatever, the sequence doesn't matter, uh, the cook. The cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Yes. Um, and now you've chosen another British epic. Or I guess it's not te- technically a British oh, film, but it is. Yeah. Well, Gilliam was born in California and then, but then lived in England most of his life and has a very like British, uh, absurdist sensibility, partially from For being sure. part of Monty Python, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And today we're talking about Brazil from 1985. So, Tina, before we get into the movie, can you reintroduce the listeners to who you are, what you got going on? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I am uh, 
I do a lot of different things and the I'll I'll just like say who I am by listing the things that I do that I want you to check out. Because uh, that's what identity is under capitalism. <laughs> um, uh, so I am the writer and creator of a comic book series, a sci-fi comic book series that is totally inspired by Brazil, which I hope we will get to talk about. Um, my comic book series is called Safe Sex, or it is alternately spelled SFSX, because that has better SEO than Safe Sex. Um Although I'm very happy that people are out here typing safe sex into their search engines for all kinds of reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, so so safe sex uh, has been uh, published by Image Comics since 2019. And we just, uh, we, uh, Image just published the collection of the first seven issues. So that's called Safe Sex Volume 1 Protection. And you can pick that up wherever books or comic books are sold. And I also podcast. I uh, host and produce a podcast called Why Are People Into That? That is all about sex, kink, gender, and love. Uh, I like you. I I really want to have you on the show. I feel like maybe we should do, like, in October, we should just straight up do a, like, why, like, why are people into monsters? Like, we should just do, like, full monstrosity episode or like what like what or like murder like i just want to go like why why is murder sexy yeah why Why do they want to be sex murdered (laughs) why Um, are people into that why are people into (laughs) being murdered or murdering depending on your top or bottom or switch murdered switch i'm a murder switch (laughs) i feel like i'm a murder switch too i believe that about you (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah so I, and I I do a lot of other writing and uh most I've been mostly a nonfiction writer before I got into writing genre fiction and comic books uh you can read my reporting on sex culture and politics on Rolling Stone and Hazlitt and Jezebel and Playboy and I'm, I'm just like every other schmuck. I just got a manager and an agent, and I'm trying to Woo! break into film and TV. And that's why you yeah. moved to LA. Listen, Tina takes Tinseltown <laughs> is in full effect. I'm ready. And, uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, so I'm working on that. I'm excited about that. And I have been doing some, also just like every other schmuck. I feel like I'm doing like intimacy consulting and tech consulting i'm very proud to have been the bdsm sex work consultant on the second season of pose yes. so there are like the, like all the scenes in the in the hellfire club uh i got to be on set and the sort of like go up to janet mock and be like with all due respect madam like <laughs> i have a note that you're pay- you're paying me to be here so I will stay in my lane, but this is technically my lane right now because you asked me to be here. <laughs> so me. there are like a few like little things about like being a professional dominatrix that I was able to like put into uh, into Pose, which I, I, you know, I mean, I think Pose is one of the great television shows of like the past 25 years. So being able to be involved with that was really cool. And I hope to do more of that and like improve like BDSM and sex work and queer representation in like the pictures, the pictures, the talk, the pictures, 
Yeah. Yay. That's so exciting. Yeah, uh, man. Thank you for the reintroduction. Oh, yeah. I would. I have notes for Brazil, by the way. <laughs> I guess I do. I, yeah. I need a time machine to, like, give Gilliam some notes. I don't think he would have listened to me. No. He certainly wouldn't have listened to me when I was, like, uh, uh, two when this movie came out. But, I don't uh, think he would listen to you now either. He would I... for, for sure not. Even if I was like, I'm a time bandit, sir. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I have notes for you. Yeah. He would me, this sure. is so it's so funny because like it when you were like I don't you 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 suggested a few films to me and totally I know I can be my blunt Jewish New Yorker self with you so I was just like no same yeah <laughs> so, I, love, I love that no it's good yeah instead of just like you know with some people I have to be like I don't know you know <laughs> let's think of something no, else. no I appreciate it yeah <laughs> but I uh, you you threw a few other things out there, and you, one of the movies you threw out there was Brazil, which is a film that I never actually finished. So I was like, "This is perfect. Like we, I should, <laughs> I want to do this for the pot. I mean, also because it's like so prescient right now. Obviously, it's and very prescient. We'll always like we'll probably always be prescient. Um, totally. But it's interesting too because you were like, "Okay, I rewatched it, and I don't know if I like it anymore." And totally. I watched it and I was like, I don't think I like this. And <laughs> so this is now, you know, you have the rare honor of being maybe the second mo- guest where I oh, I didn't really care for the movie. Um, but I, uh, what was the first one? Oh, my God. The first one is Chasing Amy. But I. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 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 This, Brazil is a little bit different because there are so many things about it that are great that I like. Um, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. There's and it's like not bad. It's like a good movie. <laughs> but it's, it, it, you know, it, there. Yeah. I have a lot of. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I have notes. I have notes. I have feelings. So why did you want to – why was Brazil one of the picks for you? Like, can you talk about um, that in relation to safe sex? I would love to. Yeah, well, f- so so two things. First, I want to talk about when I first saw this movie and why I liked it so much when I was younger and then, like, subcategory to that, I'd love to talk about why I think I have a different feeling about it now upon rewatch. Mm-hmm. And then I would love to talk about the ways that it, that it did inspire safe sex. And, and those, those things still totally hold up. So that's good. I didn't feel, like, embarrassed and wanting to, like, retcon all of the, like, press that I've done where I've been like, what are the key influences of this movie, Brazil? Um, but, uh, <laughs> you find out but, it's, like, uh, maddeningly ableist or something, like, in it, retrospect. Yeah, it, well, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to the, we'll get to the issues again. Yeah. We're, we're, so we're, we're building the suspense about what our issues are. I feel <laughs> like if anybody had seen this movie, uh, and, like, shares our, like, tastes and values and sensibilities, they probably already know what we're going to talk about, but, um, still worth digging into. Um, yeah. So, so I, I would also really love to talk about like the ways that, that it, that it influenced safe sex. I, I, I don't even think that necessarily like, like I took it in, in a really different direction. So maybe we can even talk about what it means to like, maybe this is one of the things about like living in a world where we're like reckoning with our problematic faves and like maybe one like 
productive or useful way that we can look at it is like, how can we take the things that, that we responded to, I don't know, before we were woke or, uh, you know, when we were literally children and didn't know any better. Um, but, uh, uh, at, or even the things that we that we like that are also alongside these things that we like took with a grain of salt or are taking with a grain of salt right now and like how we can like uh, I don't know like reanimate them in uh, in a new form for <laughs> reanimator that would be a, that would be a great that would oh be I love that movie reanimator yeah that would be reanimator movie's flawless no yeah. notes I have no notes on reanimator. <laughs> So yeah, let's get anyway. Into it. So well, okay. So I first I don't remember what year it was that I first saw Brazil. Um, it was I was a teenager, and it was the '90s. So the movie was like somewhere between ten and fifteen years old. Um, and and so was I. Um, and. I saw it at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. Um, so I have very fond memories of, you know, I mean, at any time, I imagine you probably feel this way. Like anytime you get a chance to like see a classic movie, like in a theater, like in a, in a re-release or in like a new cut or, or whatever, or like at a film festival, like a classics film festival, you kind of like remember it really vividly yeah um and you know at the time i was a huge monty python fan so all i really knew about the movie and i i and a huge like sci-fi fan and even specifically like a fan of sort of like a hybrid of like absurdist usually british humor and sci-fi like the douglas of the douglas adams variety right so i i, I think that like i i knew this was a sci-fi dystopia made by one of the dudes from Monty Python. So I was like, I'm in mainline this movie to me. And I loved it when I first saw it. And I think that as a kid, the things that stood out to me were, yeah, again, like the absurd humor, the kind of like, I don't want to say sophisticated slapstick. Um, Cause I don't want to create like a class hierarchy of slapstick. Like there's, one kind of like refined slapstick that's okay to like, whereas like dumb slapstick is like déclassé and uncool. Um, but uh, it does have a sort of like high, like pretension level of like a Jacques Tati level of slapstick, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I loved all of that. I did love the dystopia. I am also just like a like weird looking character actor gal you know oh, yeah, you i'm just them. i'm here for uh, oh yeah <laughs> that is like um, for better or for worse that is like one whole side of my quality is just like if you've got a character actor face i'm like unfortunately <laughs> will like listen to you longer than i probably should <laughs> <laughs> so like this movie is i mean the, the lead the lead is jonathan price who yeah again upon rewatch i was like Oh, I had such a crush on him when I first saw this and now rewatching it. I'm like, why, why is this one of my types? I Will I ever so get over this? Um, funny to me. I was like, I don't get, I don't like yeah, him as this character. This like, yeah, the like sh- schlubby, neurotic, 
naif. I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know what happened to me. Um, I'll, I'll have to like you be loved, hypnotized we, to find out. <laughs> In the other episode we did, you also loved. Yeah, totally. Fucking what's his name? Uh, yeah, I the, the guy's name. Yeah, her, her, her lover. Yeah, uh, her lover. Yeah, yeah, the librarian. Um, uh, totally. Um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, love Jonathan Price, and then you know this movie is like fucking chock filled with. It's like Ian Holm, Bob Hoskins, uh, um, this fucking is De Niro, a train of. <laughs> Tina's character actor crushes. <laughs> I guess so. Um, uh, yeah, they're they're all the, and Michael Palin, who I will say right now is I I was my favorite part of the movie when I first saw it, and remains my favorite mm. part of the movie. He was always my favorite Python. I think he yeah his his performance in this movie and like his character is like uh, is absolutely perfect. Uh, mwah, chef's kiss. Um, but uh so so yeah i like loved all of those things about it you know i i anything i mean especially as a teenager anything that was like had themes of like iconoclasm and like anti-establishment i was like sign me up this is my thing these are my people um so i loved all of that about it and all of those things i still love and those are definitely the things that 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 influenced my comic book and and my writing and yeah and then I like I think I had it on I had it on VHS and then I of course because again I am this like pretentious iconoclast I like had the Criterion collection that had like three discs and uh you know and then especially like learning that and I'm sure we'll get into this especially when we talk about the ending and it's funny to me that you would never watch it all the way through because the ending is like the most famous part and right, I think right. still like the most interesting part of it. Um, especially finding out that like not only are the themes anti-establishment, but then there's this like meta narrative around the movie where like uh, it was like too anti-establishment for the establishment of right. the movie studios. And right. they were like, they like tried to suppress it. And they like, again, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the specifics of the ending when we talk about like what it what it means that they change it the way that they it's one thing to like give a movie a happier ending but this is like so um this is like really like powerful people telling on themselves to like make this ending the happy ending you know what i mean uh it's just like so like are you guys watching the movie do you get it no it seems like you don't um and yeah, so just like knowing that there was that narrative. And then when you get the Criterion Collection, there's like the Love Conquers All version, right? Which is the like studio cut happy ending. And then there's like the theatrical release. And then there's also another like Gilliam director's cut. And, and you know, I I just like live for that shit. Which so, I think I've only seen the, I want to say the theatrical ending. I haven't seen like the studio happy-go-lucky ending and i haven't seen the director's cut so do you know what they changed no i don't think so like i maybe we should talk about it at the end yeah let's talk about it at the end okay again building suspense uh, yeah building the, the thing suspense. i've learned to as a yes. writer building suspense what are they going to talk about uh yeah so <laughs> it, it's quite interesting it's quite interesting and yeah uh 
one of the reasons that even when I rewatched it and was like, oh God, about some things, I was like, no, this is still worth talking about on your show because no, it's it totally pretty is. fascinating stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. So let's get into it. So that's like my story of like why why I love it so much. Great. Yeah. Amazing. So I'm glad you love it and I'm glad that you know a lot about it because well so I want to ask you this yeah when I guess you kind of already answered this but like when I suggested it and you were like yes Brazil great choice was it just that you felt like it would give you an excuse to finish watching it or was there something about it because this it, it is like much more shall we say it's like a much more like masculine kind of movie than like you usually have on the show oh absolutely yeah it's not it's not really horror it has like some sexual elements and like gender themes somewhat but definitely like not in not very usual for your show or your patreon so I'm, i'm curious like what like what your response was when we talked about it's, doing this movie it's def yeah it's definitely not like as sexy as the movies i usually do for sure <laughs> um however like when you said it i was like well that's perfect because i sort of know what it's about and i think that that's perfect to go with tina's book so i mm-hmm. thought that would be a, a good before you said it was like heavily influenced i was like well that just works because like it's sci-fi your 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 novel is sci-fi um and I was just, I know that it has a, because the podcast is subversive and controversial film, right? It is definitely that. Yeah. So I know that this movie has a controversial history. So I was like, let's get into it. And also, I never do films like this because I'm really just like, it's very hard for me to do like any kind of Monty Python, like men doing things. Like it's, it's, it's hard for me to get into stuff like that. I think I don't have like a childhood connection with it also. So it's kind of like, I mean, like my dad liked Monty Python, but I never, it, it, it wasn't like a deep, childhood connection for me where it's like I can't get into it now because like obviously like I'm too far gone to like be able to get interested in it now but yeah I don't even have that like anchor to it so I'm just kind of like annoyed by those guys so I mean it's really just like a it it was not finishing it and not like getting into Terry Gillum's films is like purely just a petty thing of just like they annoy me um have you seen have you seen or liked any Terry Gilliam film? Um, I've seen 12 Monkeys. Yes. 12 Monkeys. Um, and Fear and Loathing I, in Las Vegas. I've seen many times. Fear and Loathing. Yes. And I've um, seen Tideland. Have you seen, um, uh, have you seen The Fisher King? I have. Yeah. But years ago. A long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that one in a while. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I think, I, I, I think this is, it's like widely considered his masterpiece, but I like also think that it is his best movie. I mean, it listen, like when I say I didn't it's like I wasn't bored ever when I was watching this. <laughs> I wasn't yeah, bored. Favorites. Oh my god. I was no, but like that's real. Like that's for me, if something can keep my attention, like that's 
there's merit in that as well. So yeah. like I wasn't ever bored. I think the set design is amazing. Um, yeah, absolutely. The production design, the, the like Terry Gilliam's production design is definitely like where he shines. And I yes. think that that's, that's hard to argue with. It's very inventive, very unique. Like, you know that you're watching a Terry Gilliam movie and like, even, even with like fear and loathing being an adaptation of like such a, such a strong voice and vision, uh, like it's still clearly also a Terry Gilliam movie. And I, I do have admiration for that. I feel like Kubrick is another director that is really good at like adapting things that have like a very strong, like adapting like really strong source material and like also making it like unmistakably his. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely got that very specific Terry Gilliam slash Monty Python milieu stamp on it for sure. <laughs> um, but let's talk about it. I'm excited let's to, do it. I'm yeah, I'm excited to dissect it. So cool. let's do it. Movie comes out in February 1985 um, in Europe without any issues. But when Gilliam tried to release it in the US, it ran into all this trouble because of the ending. Um, yeah. So eventually Universal Studios acquiesced to Gilliam's demands. Yeah, so he waged a successful war against Universal Studios. Um, the studio mm -hmm. recut the film to portray a happy ending, like you were saying, uh, where yeah. Sam gets the girl so so to speak yeah um and in order to get the film released gilliam took out a full page ad in variety directed right. at the head of universal sid scheinberg gilliam corralled la film critics to watch the film in secret screenings even though there was an embargo <laughs> on showing people the film and uh, Universal were in – he said that Universal were in such a flap, they immediately released it in New York and Los Angeles, and they had no posters. They had nothing. They had a Xerox copy of the artwork they were going to eventually make a poster of. That's all they had. And it did proceed to do the most business per theater of any film at that time. Amazing. So nice. the film was budgeted at $15 million. It grossed $9 million domestically. Uh, but 30 years later, it remains an extremely influential film. So obviously directed by Terry Gilliam, if that wasn't clear enough, uh, <laughs> written by him and also by Charles McEwen and Tom Stoppard. The film stars Jonathan Price, your crush, <laughs> also features Robert De Niro, Kim Greist, Michael Palin, Catherine Hellman, who's incredible in it as well. So good. I knew you. I, I, I know you're going to have tons to say about Oh, her. obviously I love her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bob Hoskins and Ian, Ian Holm. R.I.P. R.I.P. So Gilliam developed the story and he wrote the first draft of the screenplay with Charles Alverson. Uh, who was paid, but was ultimately uncredited in the final film. And for nearly 20 years, Gilliam denied that Alverson had made a contribution to the script. But when the first draft was published, um, the original documents emerged and Gilliam begrudgingly changed his story. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, what an asshole. <laughs> right. For sure. <laughs> so Federico Fellini, who's a director. Ever heard of him? <laughs> Uh, who Killiam often cites as a defining influence on his style. Um, so 
he almost wanted to name uh, the film in the style of a Fellini film. So, like, some of the names that were thrown around were The Ministry of Torture, How I Learned to Live with the, fi- with the System So Far, and so that's why the bourgeoisie sucks before settling with Brazil, relating it to the name of its escapist signature tune. Mm-hmm. Um, Gilliam. It also makes this movie very difficult to Google. It's true. Yeah, you have to Google Brazil film 1985. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Gilliam sometimes refers to this film as the second in his trilogy of imagination. So with The Time Bandits in 1981 and ending with The Adventures of Baron Munchausen in 1988. Love love that movie. I haven't seen either of those. That is the, um, yeah, there's like, I wait, I think, unless I'm getting it mixed up, I'm pretty sure that Uma Thurman is naked in that movie. Ooh la la. Yeah. Anyway, also and uh, actress, but like naked. I mean, listen, it's Uma Thurman. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. So the big problem with the film at first not being released, um, was a contract dispute over the length of the film. Also, so Gilliam mm-hmm. delivered a film seventeen minutes over what he was contracted to do. Um. Because it's over, it was over the two hour and five minute limit. So the studio chopped it down to 94 minutes. Um, but Scheinberg told the Los Angeles Times, I don't want a happy ending. I want a satisfying ending. And he said that 52% of viewers responded negatively to test screenings. Uh, Scheinberg also felt that Gilliam, he hadn't directed enough film, so he didn't have the clout to be demanding a final cut. <laughs> Uh, so okay. that, it was it was also like a you know a masculine pissing war over it. Um, Clearly, what else did I want to say here? the The location where Sam was tortured is now an IKEA. I I saw. <laughs> oh, and when it was released, people walked out of the theaters, which I thought was. I wonder why. Um. I mean, the uh, probably for all the same reason. I mean, listen, all of these excuses, by the way, of like why they didn't want to release the movie right. are like so. They're so obviously bogus. Yeah, they're so bogus is exactly the word. They're they're just like they reek of excuses for people who don't want to admit that something is like too anti-establishment or to like that actually like threatens the status quo that benefits the the people who are in a position to censor or like uh you know like keep the movie from like being released you know it's like oh it's 17 minutes too long like oh uh people want a different kind of ending and it's like so you're threatened by the message of this movie and so, and but you're probably not even like aware of it on a conscious level, but you just have this whole toolkit of things that you can say when something makes you uncomfortable. Right. Like this is something that that I have experienced firsthand, uh, like being a creative professional, and like probably will always exist. But you know, we gotta keep. We got to keep like swinging, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just like the sweet kind of, you know, I don't want to say irony, but like, it's just kind of, it's, it's weird how the history of this movie like lines up with what the movie is actually about. 
Um, I do think it's ironic. I think it's ironic that you like you you have a a movie that is about exposing the hypocrisy and dysfunction of power and society and like that like the systems that are supposedly making society run are actually like uh destroying people's souls and like keeping people subjugated and then you have the people who benefit from the dysfunction of that society trying to suppress a message of like resistance or even like there is another way like you have within you and you know the the this the the still beautiful message of this movie is like the idea of like having an inner fantasy life that you use to escape from the crushing reality of society like i think is a very beautiful theme and like how how like this particular character's like inner fantasy life uh manifests is like where a lot of my like issues with it come up which we should get to 100 um, yeah yeah um but uh but but yeah that idea that like every single person has the power within them with their imagination to escape from those systems is a beautiful message and it it like it like again it like makes sense that people in power would be threatened by it but it's also like really guys right yeah like you said earlier really telling on themselves and exactly. the Brazil theme song, I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you read this, but it has its own political baggage. Um, oh, uh, I, uh, I don't remember. Tell, tell us everything. Yeah. So in 1939, Ari Barroso wrote the samba song, Aquarela de Brazil, which translates to Watercolor of Brazil. The song landed in the U.S. in 1942 um, in the Disney film, Saludos Amigos. Walt Disney had heard the song while visiting Brazil as part of FDR's good neighbor policy, which involved Brazil's president at the time, Getúlio Vargas, Getúlio, wanting to regard America as a friend, according to a BBC article at the time. The song and Disney film aimed to portray South America in a better light than just as, quote unquote, feckless Latinos. Wow. Yeah. So, uh... So that's also got some baggage. Yeah, there's there's definitely a, a very interesting history that we don't have time to get into of, of like like Brazilian culture and specifically music being a form of resistance against the government and the status quo in the mm-hmm. 20th century with like Caetano Veloso and uh but like anyway that's it's interesting to think even though those themes uh, and also, may I point out, like virtually any people of color are conspicuously absent, um, like from Zero. From, yeah. from Brazil. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to make a connection between, like, because the title of the movie is Brazil and like takes its title from this piece of Brazilian music. Like, it's interesting to think about like how those those themes might be connected. But um, I don't think that. Gilliam was thinking about them very much when he was making it. I don't think so either, but it's definitely something we can think about. Um, Yay! <laughs> so totally. let's let's get into the plot. So totally. 
Uh, the movie begins, we get this text on the screen where it says 8.49 p.m., somewhere in the 20th century. By the way, somewhere in the 20th, some, somewhere in the 20th century, I love. Oh, Great touch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Lo- I really love it. I mean, it's very much like his absurdist kind of humor, right? The other thing that... And it immediately disorients you, right? Which is... Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, also, like, the production design is not supposed to be any particular kind of – any particular city. It's just – Totally. Yeah. It's just kind of supposed to be – it like, it's this retro-futurist hell that is, like, nowhere in particular. Totally. So – when we get these like clouds, and of course we get the Brazil theme song, which Kate Bush covered at some point. Which I oh, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> there is now we get this shot of like a TV and a like a television store. The guy on the TV is selling uh, ducts. He's talking about ducts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I thought this was significant. I looked up what the meaning of ducts might be because I was thinking of like Roman aqueducts and like this mm. idea of civilized society and the Romans actually like their aqueducts being like a really important invention, invention but actually they were really disgusting. So <laughs> I was thinking about that. But then I also looked it up and um, I found this person's blog. They never named themselves, but I'm going to give them credit anyway. Uh, it's called thisruthlessworld.wordpress.com. And it looks like it hasn't been updated in years. Oh, great. Right. But this person had this interesting read of the ducks where they said this clearly represents the oppressive role the Ministry of Information plays in every aspect of people's lives. The ducts also connect every corner of the city to the ministry um, and all the other spaces to each other, meaning everything and everyone is part of the information network. I totally agree with that yeah. reading. I mean, the film is filled with both um like the little what are they called pneumatic tubes where where uh the the little like messages uh come uh-huh. down the tube I don't know what and, and like but they're cool <laughs> uh the like mail yeah tubes. they're very they're very cool and it, that yeah yeah and that's very um that has a like uh like kind of like cartoonish like feel to it which i which i love um and uh but then there's also like air ducts and like like basically the civic infrastructure all has like all of these ducts and they they're um there's like exposed like all the 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 like walls are exposed both in the like sort of like working class spaces that we that we visit but then also the like higher up um Mm -hmm. like uh like wealthier spaces they're they're like all exposed yeah even when we're in like a palatial setting totally there's still these like ugly ducts what were you gonna say totally oh uh yeah and just so what you were saying about about roman aqueducts being both like a sign of the advancement of civilization, but like also actually disgusting. Right. I feel like that is definitely a theme, uh, a really important theme of this movie. And I have like, I've definitely read that Gilliam like, like really kind of like wanted to expose that like 
like his own that like the emotions of this movie come from like his frustration that all these systems that are supposed to make life more convenient um actually like don't function very well and nobody wants to admit it because that would be like uncivilized or it would be like uh uh we would have to admit that we actually like don't have it all figured out and so everybody like like ignores or just like puts like a you know like a nice like decoration on top of these like sort of like disgusting uh things that like exp- they like both like expose and obfuscate the system how's that no absolutely and like that is present of obviously present in the film but i think that's i mean we can get into this more we're like we haven't even gotten to the even beginning of the movie yet but it's (laughs) i you know i think that's part of like what bothers me about this movie is that Mm. it's a it's a surface level analysis of the problem i guess to me like that's smart like it's a very kind of like white man like these systems are not functioning and like we design them to function and they're not functioning and it's like actually they're designed to oppress you and make you lose your mind i think is like what man i agree with that read 100 yeah <laughs> you know like that's i think that was my i think that's where my main issue with this comes in so we there's this guy yeah i i think i think you're right i yeah right Go on. So, I mean, this opens, though, with a bombing, which is pretty cool. So the television yeah, sales shop that. gets bombed. It's decorated very appropriately for Christmas, of course. Um, oh, yes. This is – I can't believe I suggested a Christmas movie. I, I hate Christmas, so. <laughs> I say I fucking hate Christmas. And when I was watching this, I was like, God damn it. We should have released this for Christmas. But, we're, you know, because I'm irreverent, of course. But it's this is a Christmas movie. Um, we learn via, uh, like a news voiceover from a burning television that there have been these terrorist bombings throughout the city mm. to oppose the Ministry of Information, which is this kind of like vague shadowy entity, yeah. shadowy government entity. Um, and Mr. Helpman, who will come back, <laughs> which is a very funny name. <laughs> um, he... True. He's a little ironic. <laughs> just a little bit. He, he is like talking about poor people in this very terrible manner, right? He's like, if these people totally. would just play the game, they'd get a lot more out of life. Um, like very typical evil rich man speak. Um yeah. Yeah. we see this like very kind of nerdy bureaucratic dude in what looks like a printing lab. Um, and he kills off a bu- he kills a bug, and this sets off a series of events because yeah. he's ty- he's typing these names up on these forms, um, and he changes one of the names from Tuttle to Buttle, mm-hmm. and all of this is happening as he's watching the news broadcast that was playing on the burning TV. So there's also these like weird posters in his office. Oh yeah, actually the um the propaganda again production design. On point, yeah. Like most, most like is is sort of the most like influential and like or, like truly original like part of part of this movie. Like the the omnipresent propaganda is is really good. Yeah, yeah. No, like there's one poster behind him that says "loose talk is news talk." <laughs> yeah, loose talk is news talk is brutal. Yeah, that's brutal. We see this family at home reading a Christmas carol. 
Um, this is when we meet Jill, who's having a cigarette in the bath. And um, love that. I love it too. She's hot. Suddenly, <laughs> a SWAT team of yeah. men, men in black, blow in through the ceiling and take the father of this family captive, Mr. Buttle. And this is very, this is a very like working class, like apartment complex. Yes. Um, and they like, you know, drill a hole in uh, Jill's floor, which is the Buttle's ceiling. Mm -hmm. And they come down through the ceiling and they haul him off in this like elaborate straight jacket mechanism, which I'm sad to admit turns me on a little bit. <laughs> uh, don't, don't be sad. Don't be sad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just I will I will also say so now that we're getting this is this is nice because it's I feel like this discussion is like equal parts reminding me of the the like micro and macro elements of this movie that I, that I do still really love. And also reminding me of the parts that I'm just like, I roll snore, right. but like the, the, like the, like law in for the brutality of the law enforcement and Accurate, how like yeah. I, is, 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 uh, is really, is really good. And is also just like uh, any, any movie that accurately depicts the, and in this case, it's like literally, it's truly senseless it's like it's like a mistake but also it's like a fucking bureaucratic mistake and bureaucracy is the like kafkaesque bureaucracy is a huge part of uh what is being critiqued even on a surface level in this movie and like is worthy of critique um but also the idea that like even if it wasn't a bureaucratic error this would like and they were coming for the right person like that would like still be bad it's that not just be bad because it's the wrong man right like, um, but yeah, the straight jacket is both, um, you know, as I think both you and I have talked to, uh, JB Brager about like the, the idea that like, you know, like fascist, uh, bondage can be both, uh, like really hot and also really awful and wrong. So yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely more intrigued by the scene in the truck. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. It's, yes. <laughs> yes. The, all the, the torture stuff we need to talk about. A yeah. Lot. The torture, the torture stuff, is, stuff is really also on point in this movie. It is. Yeah. But yeah, the straight jacket is, is, is really gruesome. And the way that they are like making the, the like, you know, horrified, beyond horrified, uh, wife, like, sign paperwork yeah, for the release of for, like it's like a receipt like yeah, they, yeah. It's the part of the one of the parts of the the way like the law works in this movie is people which is like not dissimilar to how it works actually is yeah. that people have to pay for their own interrogations and their own arrest and totally right all, all. And, and, and also just like like even the like inhumanity of like having to like sign paperwork to like for something that you like is the opposite of what you want but sort of being like intimidated into yes. signing paperwork that that is a huge influence on safe sex mm. that element of it yeah uh, but yeah so go on the plot the plot we so, haven't even gotten to sam lowry yet i know my boy <laughs> so jill surly woman from the bath tells the man that they've made a mistake um and with, to which the officer says mistake we don't make mistakes so yeah. Now we get to the Ministry of Information, um, and we meet Mr. Kurtzman. Um, he, there's all these nerds in the Ministry of Information gathering around these mini televisions. They're like watching old Hollywood movies. This is another theme in the movie. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, they're watching Casablanca, I think. Yeah, they're watching Casablanca. So oh, yeah, that shot. Did you read about this? That that like really long shot going through the like again the like Kafka esque Ministry of Information is actually like they're like going around uh like in a circle but it looks like they're going like in one straight line but they're actually like like travel it's it's a it's a very innovative and interesting shot oh interesting yeah i did not read about that so thank you so there's this like comedy moment where mr kurtzman is like you know he goes into his office and like all the nerds watch their little tvs and then like he comes out and they start and they start working again and blah 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 yeah great stuff good good stuff so i think that stuff is really funny no that was funny yeah yeah and i think mr kurtzman is a really great character Um, that's the ian holm character yeah, yeah yeah he's really good so kurtzman calls sam lowry uh, he calls for him. He's not there. This is when we get to Sam's dream. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, these beautiful, like, clouds. And Sam is this crazy, like, silver glam alien. <laughs> with, yeah, like, he looks great. Yeah, he looks great with the, like, a- angel, alien, whatever, with these, like, giant wings and, like, this glam makeup. And yeah. there is this beautiful lady calling to him. Yes. Um, and then his alarm goes off. Oh yeah, so we're, so he's still he's still at home. So then we get little fact about me. One of my very first writing gigs was writing a piece about what I like observed in movies um, as this trope, not trope, but like uh, as this uh, uh, little like element that you see uh, in 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 a lot of movies of what I called the Rube Goldberg breakfast machine. I that um, is literally my exact note. Yeah, uh, so like you know, there's the, some of the movies I wrote about are like Back to the Future and um, uh, Wallace and Gromit and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Like the the idea of this like overwrought, overly elaborate that isn't particularly mechanism either. Yeah, exactly. That that, that like. like makes your breakfast um and yeah sam's right from the go like shows again the like dysfunction of like all of these like appliances and systems that are supposed to make his life easier but they like pour coffee on his toast and etc right. etc right so sam gets to work at the ministry of information the symbol of which is again a crazy winged statue much like yeah. a dream yes uh and carved into the base is the truth shall make you free Mm. and we see a group of school children and nuns visiting the ministry of information which is like super sinister but is decorated for christmas so yay. <laughs> yeah. uh kind of reminded me a little bit of grand central station <laughs> totally totally while making small talk with a colleague who turns out to be jack sam sees one of uh, on one of the televisions the woman from his dream yes. who's also jill the Buttle's yeah. neighbor. Jack tries to tell Sam that Records is a dead end apartment, and Sam like doesn't really care. So we see that he Sam is like very actually like committed to like he just wants to like keep his head down. And he's he's clearly like more like competent and intelligent than like anybody else, and even his boss is yes. like, can you like come in here and like help me with this? And Sam like knows how to do everything, but is not ambitious at all. And like, that's, that's another element that I uh, 
that inspired me for safe sex was the idea of somebody who is like just trying to like keep their head down as a paper pusher within the system so that they can like maintain their private like inner fantasy life mm, um and and the and the sort of like what are the what are the the pros and cons and complications of like that strategy yeah, within an oppressive society that is one way to disassociate under capitalism like yep yeah keep your head down um yeah and sam that's very i mean that's very much a theme for him also his with his apartment decorated in like old movie posters like he just he Ooh. lives in a fantasy life it relates to the production design obviously because this production design very much um this movie is actually credited with beginning steampunk actually like the, i know yes the- <laughs> so like sorry <laughs> <laughs> damn you tina <laughs> i mean it's a, listen i didn't i had nothing i was like i said i was two so <laughs> three maybe when it was when it was being made i was i was i was a, i was a baby um i it's so funny too because when i read that it inspired steampunk i was like i know that tina is also gonna groan when she reads this (laughs) it's it's like listen you know whatever people like but um (laughs) steampunk's a little it's a little it's a little played out um it's feels racist to me but that's just my yeah that's just my read on it and it like in this movie I would say it's less about nostalgia for the past mm. and more about like connecting the movie to noir themes. Mm-hmm. Um, noir film noir like famously explores social ills mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know um, cynicism, which is another reason I wanted to do this movie because on the Patreon I'm doing film noir this month. Nice, nice. So this is this the production design of this film and the music of this film is all very inspired by noir. Um, totally, and Fritz Lang uh, as totally. well, which you know of course brings it into that like whole future um, dystopia space. Uh, what else? What do I want to say here? Oh, okay. So we then see the neighbor, Jill, from earlier, um, presenting a form for wrongful arrest. So she's trying to get Buttle released. And she's in this, like, bureaucratic nightmare where they keep telling her to go to different departments. Again, like, as, as you rightfully pointed out, it's, like, a little on the nose and, like, a little surface level. But at the same time, like, I totally... I, I, I like relate really hardcore to like that nightmare. Oh, (laughs) you know, when you, that is very accurate. The idea of like, if you, yeah, she's like in this cycle where when she goes to one place, they tell her that she needs a stamp from the other place that told her to come to that place. And it's like, yeah, that's, that shit's all, real and maybe part of the reason that it feels so on the nose is that like all you have to do is just like show it as it really is and like in order to expose there's like really no uh, need to exaggerate like demoralizing it is yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) later sam is looking into the case the buttle case and he sees that there was a mistake with buttle but um he states that it wasn't their department's mistake it was information retrieval's fault so it's not really they're relieved that it was not their mistake so it's not really about buttle the human being it's about 
them making a mistake in their department. Yeah. So Kurtzman says he doesn't know what to do. Uh, he doesn't know what he'd do if Lowry, if Sam was ever promoted. Kurtzman mm. tells Sam that he's been given a promotion because of his mother pulling strings. And this upsets Sam. And he goes to his mother to tell him to stop helping. Tell her to stop helping him. And now yes. we meet Sam's mother. <laughs> who is so like this is probably the most iconic image from the movie like yes. if you've seen one image from this movie it is probably this so tell one. us what's happening well so she so th- this actress um she she's the the um she's judith light's mom and who's the boss right mm-hmm. um which just i mean if you're from a certain generation you'll just be like what <laughs> um but uh so she is, uh, she's getting um, like a plastic surgery like consultation, um, and her plastic surgeon is Jim Broadbent, another like British character actor that I love, and <laughs> uh, um, and she is she's getting uh, he is like stretching her the skin of her face, and she's like very blasé about it, and. Uh, and so it, it, it's, I don't know, it's both like this very inventive scene portraying like, like vanity and um, the, the sort of like frivolity of wealth. Um, and then at the same time, I feel like, I feel like when I, when I first saw it, like that was sort of my read of just like, oh my God, these like silly ladies, like da 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 da. And like, n- that's like an example of something that, now I'm really grateful to have a much more sophisticated, like, right. uh, like understanding of like plastic surgery, and that like it's actually like quite femphobic to it's so misogynist to to like have this critique where it's just like okay, all I'll do is just like show, especially older women, right. like getting plastic surgery like, in order grotesque? to appear younger. Yeah, like this yeah, it's so very it's very like grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, I have like mixed feelings about that part where it still is like, uh, you know, the makeup is very impressive and it gave her blisters um, apparently. That's right. That's right. The actress, uh, um, and you know, but at the same time, it's like, okay, let's, you know, I, I hope that like, this is not like a continued, thing that we see in um in dystopia like how can we show that like society is really bad i know will like show these old ladies getting this like really grotesque plastic surgery yes that is something that happens in a lot of dystopia like the how did you feel about it i felt like it was super misogynist i was like uh here we go like uh, ladies doing vain things to represent like how far gone society is without any acknowledgement of like how that functions in different classes of women i don't really feel like women are people in this movie i feel like um totally yeah i feel like jill is just um sam like she is just supposed Mm. to be like his idealized self um like she has like integrity well, I mean, which is actually, pretty cool that actually you can't help you can't help yourself because that's actually an even more interesting that is cool like, yes characterization than the movie i think deserves yeah. which is like the idea that that 
because that makes the, the gender stuff kind of interesting that he would like imagine when he sees himself as like a free person that he would imagine himself as a woman. And I think this might be the right time to bring this up. Like he imagines himself as a butch woman. Right. And yes. like, there's also this like, she, you know, she has, she drives a fucking truck. Yes. She has mad Furiosa vibes. Yes. She's got like this, like super short, like it's, it's not even like a Mia Farrow pixie cut. It is like a butch no, it's haircut. it's like a chopped haircut. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's like a little bit of a fucked up element with this um, where like in his fantasy, she's very ethereal and feminine. And then when he meets her in real life, she's like butch and trash talking and like, you know, uh, she like kind of needs to like become his fantasy woman like in like throughout the narrative of the story um but i like your read that she is him i actually wonder if that's part of the reason that she's a very rare like romantic lead who gets to be which basically the whole movie until the very end. Yeah, I mean, the way I feel about it, and this is also from reading um, that um, this Ruthless World person, because uh, mm. she actually posited this, that, and mm. I, could, I was kind of thinking it already because of the ending, which I'll tell you about when we get there, why I thought that. Um, yeah. But she kind of posits because of, like, we're both kind of introduced, like, we're introduced to them where um, Jill is, like, washing off the stink of her job and she's in a charcoal gray bath. And Sam is always wearing charcoal gray suits. There's, like, Ooh. a there's like some mirroring stuff going on there with them. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I think that. That's, I mean, that's homo. That's incredibly <laughs> homo. Yeah. I think, you know, in his fantasy right that he's obviously like supposed to be the winged ministry in, in ministry of information um figure come yeah. to life saving but not actually but like it's revealed to be not helpful right like that's the whole thing of yeah. his dream like he 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 realizes he's like not doing good <laughs> in, in his dream like with the work that he's doing and i yeah you know he also envisions this like fantasy woman um but then in real life she's like this actually this butch chick and i feel like it just it complicates this idea of like um a sexual fantasy and a fantasy of like the best person you could be like or like kind of wanting to like amalgamate your sexual partner's best traits into you like it kind of it does some interesting this is stuff so, with that. this is so on brand that you have managed to like find a queer interpretation and totally of, of course of, of this movie that i i totally uh th- this is like the first time that i've contemplated that so uh good job yay <laughs> I had to find something in here to make a homo. homo. <laughs> so uh, back to this scene. Um, so, yeah, I felt it was misogynist. I felt it was very I, – I feel like I could write a whole paper about, like, the way that femme is portrayed in dystopian literature and film. You should. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that – I mean, look, look at the Hunger Games. Like, it's always it's always femininity, right that's like yeah. the frivolity and totally. um, jill is not feminine so she's like the opposite yes. of this so she's like good there's also an equation in dystopian films and in this film of like working class and wholesomeness and radicalness with 
like masculinity and totally with like the bourgeoisie and every, anything that's evil or you know gets associated with femininity uh, absolutely so Lau, uh, so she also says to Jim Broadbent, would you like to be Surgeon General? I simply know everybody, which I thought was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> and totally. Sam is uh, taken to lunch by his mother, who's now in this like leopard skirt suit with this giant shoe on her head and like flaming Listen, red hair. I mean, that's the other thing that like almost redeems the misogyny is that like the the like femme like costuming is fantastic. Exactly. Yes. Even if they intended it to be, like, a critique of vanity, it's, like, woodwear. It's just good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they also meet up with their, with his mother's friend, who's also in a crazy outfit, and her daughter, who's in headgear. He's, like, a shy girl in headgear. Um, yeah. And he can't get a word in. And while at lunch, a bomb goes off, but people are, like, carrying on like nothing has happened. Uh, the musicians continue to play while, and everybody continues to have lunch while firefighters come and douse the fire. The musicians are playing Havana Gila for some reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sam, <laughs> the women are like, oh, Sam, can't you do something about these terrorist attacks? And he's like, it's not my department. Like, nobody cares. Yeah. And yeah. Sam leaves the table saying he doesn't want a promotion. He wants nothing, not even dreams. So this is like what you were saying, right? Like he just wants to fucking put his head down and like live his life. And we are thrust into one of his flying dreams. Um, But this time in the dream, the land explodes and the woman in the dream, Jill, is overwhelmed by the eruption. So (laughs) 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 I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. (laughs) Sam awakens to his apartment smoking from his busted air conditioning. He calls central services for help. We Can just, I just say yeah. the, the this is a very like that dream sequence and also like all of the stuff in his apartment like got to give props to this movie for the practical effects. Like the practical so effects are are incredible. He calls central services for help, but he only gets a recording. So in this universe, people have to call the government to fix their air conditioners. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is crazy. Lowry, uh, Sam, I keep calling him Lowry because they call him Lowry for like the first half of the movie and then they start calling him Sam. Um, yeah. Sam falls asleep in his refrigerator because it's so hot and wakes up yeah. to... Can relate. Yeah, to a masked man, Robert De Niro, pointing a gun at him. Yes. Uh, and he says he's only there to help fix his air conditioner, <laughs> that he intercepted <laughs> Sam's call to central services. And he tells Sam his name is Harry Tuttle, and he isn't officially working with central services. And he pulls out a bunch of tools and starts working on the AC. Um, he tells Sam that he doesn't want to work officially for central services because there's too much bureaucracy. <laughs> so he's this, like, renegade engineer Uh, i do love the idea of like um like de niro's character is kind of like the ultimate like liberated person and he's like self-actualized as a liberated person and has like fused his like adventurous flying through the air like um personality with his occupation um and so and like the the um The element where, like, the ultimate, like, liberated rebel is, like, somebody who, like, like a handyman who, like, efficiently 
takes care of your utilities is like pretty pretty amazing. I cannot think That's of it. And like cool. pretty pretty original and unique. Like I can't think of yeah. another movie that constructs that quite in that way. And I'm also thinking about how the revolutionaries are American and the kind of like patsy ministry people are British. Um and how De Niro is kind of like this like staggering yeah. hero. Yeah, there is a little bit of that, like, both, both, like, there's definitely film noir elements, but then in that sense, there's a little bit of, like, Western to it, huh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, Tuttle finds that the issue, he finds the issue with the AC, he starts to fix it, and all of a sudden, a doorbell rings, and he, Tuttle flips out, he hides behind the fridge, um, pointing a gun at the door as Lowry answers, and at the door is Central Services, a pair of goonish brutish men wanting to come in and fix the ac but when lowry asks for the proper paperwork one of the men starts shaking in fear and sam is able to get them to leave before tuttle shoots them um sam then pieces together that harry is the heating engineer tuttle that they're actually looking for that he's the reason the buttle, the buttle mistake happened so sam tells tuttle that he knows this um, Tuttle starts humming the Brazil song from the beginning Ooh. when uh, Sam asks what they want him for. Um, and Harry says, listen, kid, we're all in this together. <laughs> and then he leaves heroically uh, on this like bungee, right? The structure- on like a zipline. Yeah, yeah. The zip like, line. A, like a superhero. Yeah. Sam's the, the structure of his apartment building is wild. Um, yeah. I don't quite know. How yeah, to it's sort of like it. like art deco kind of right yes yeah Yeah. it's also definitely like a combination of like we're saying practical effects effects there's like definitely um like models which you know uh as as a like practical effects like kid of the 80s i am definitely like yay models like and but then also that's that thing where there's like um i don't know what you call it like a like in theater it's like a scrim or like just sort of like like something that's like meant to be the background, but it's like two dimensional. But then there's like a trick of the eye where there's like also a set that like uh like continues into the two dimensional right, background. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's called though. Yeah, but it's cool. it looks cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's cool. Um, so back at the Ministry of Information, Sam figures out the Buttle is dead. Uh, while investigating his interrogation refund check. <laughs> Uh, the anxiety with Kurtzman and Sam is not that that Buttle is dead, but that they don't know what to do with this check. Um, because he's been issued a refund for his own interrogation, but he's dead. So he uh, and then the the interrogation is what killed him. Also, so again, irony. Yeah, exactly. So Kurtzman, they don't know what to do with this check, and he's they're kind of freaking out. And Sam takes action. And, you know, he says he's going to bring it to the Buttle uh, widow. So mm-hmm. he drives down this kind of like surrealistic retro futurist highway with the Brazil song playing. There's a terrorist. Oh, attack- yeah. Uh, his like tiny car. Yes. His tiny weird car. Uh, a terrorist attack is announced on the radio and he changes the station. <laughs> like it just kind of shows that like it doesn't really affect him. Like he's not thinking about it as like a conscious citizen yet. He's just like he's totally. still a sheep. He's just like, well, I don't want to hear it. 
Um, yeah. In he's in this like vintagey futuristic car. Um, he's like encountering like as he gets up to the bottle home, he's like encountering children. Uh, playing in like apocalyptic waste. <laughs> uh, uh, <Totally>. Sam <laughs> gets to the Buttle home, which is in a very poor neighborhood in a rundown building, which is in stark contrast to the building he lives in. Uh, the apartment yeah. is totally trashed. The Christmas tree is turned over. Mrs. Buttle is de- despondent, sitting in a chair. Yeah. And Sam tries to like talk she's like he's dead isn't he and Sam tries to like talk it away with all this like bureaucracy language nonsense um, yeah he says um he says like he's he's like trying to get her to to sign the check he's like I'm trying to give you money here right, right. and and he says I'm a bit of a stickler for paperwork like where would we be without protocol which is yeah just and, and like, it, which is interesting because like, well, like most like he's sort of positioned as somebody who uh like doesn't like believe in the system but then when he's like an enforcer of the system he's kind of he like parroting on it yeah 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 um which is the thing is i think terry i don't think terry gilliam has an analysis of like gender or race um agreed in his in this work um but that is something that white people in positions of power who think that they mean well is something that they do uh absolutely right where it's like oh i'm one of the good ones but as soon as oh absolutely i have to i'm going to rely on this system that hurts because you I can. yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah. mrs buttle like f- flips out demanding to know where his body is because she's like being a fucking human being and yeah she's just she's like the manifestation of of trauma Yes. Her young son attacks Sam. And once the altercation ends, there's this broken mirror and Sam sees Jill's reflection from upstairs in the mirror asking Mrs. Buttle if she's she's ready or if she's all right. They are like fragmented aspects of Exactly. Love it. Love it. So he realizes right it's the woman from his dream and also when he sees her in the mirror you can you know like in her voice changes right like in the mirror she's got this like long blue like hair from the fantasy and she's like yeah are you all right and then her voice changes <laughs> and like we see her and she's like mrs buttle are you all right like it's yeah very she's like what the fuck yeah right yeah. exactly it's like also this yeah he's his fantasy version of her is very different so totally Jill runs off before Sam can talk to her. Um, <laughs> Sam runs outside to see that his car has been set on fire. And uh-huh. <laughs> Jill drives off in her big truck and Sam, like, chases her yelling, I had nothing to do with it. Totally, like, complicit. Like, like you were saying before. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm one of the good guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Words for good boys. Yeah. And, like, when he was running upstairs to find Jill, he ran into this guy, uh, like slammed face first into him, and like we see that guy again, um, drive oh, off on this motorcycle. Oh, interesting! It's the guy who's Who is like, that guy? I, I think it has something to do with give like giving Jill packages. Like, oh, right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, right. 
Because so, then later they go, there's like a MacGuffin yes. package for, uh, for a while. And yeah. like, yeah. So he drives away sketchily on his motorcycle. Um, Sam tries to drive off, but his car is all trashed. And he finds out the name of um, the neighbor. He finds Jill's name from this little girl Ooh. in the street. Um, and he realizes that the little girl is Buttle's daughter. And he looks well, yeah. sad about it for like a second and then moves on with his life. Totally. <laughs> so back at work, Sam can't get any information on Jill because her file is classified. And there's this great noir music also I noted during that scene. Um, Kurtzman asks Sam if he can – if like the Buttles check thing is resolved. Um, the only way that Sam can get information on Jill is to take that promotion that his mother mm. got for him. But Kurtzman has signed his form stating that he doesn't want the promotion, thinking he was doing Sam a favor. Right. Um, so Sam is pissed, obviously. He's got he's like on this kind of like moody train ride, he, uh obsessing over. Oh, that's Jill. a great set piece. That is a great set. That's like it's like the train inside his building. It's so weird. It's um, really weird. Sam has a, a vision of himself again as the as the angel, the silver angel, and he flies through the, these futuristic high-rise structures. And he sees Jill floating in a cage, being dragged by a grotesque troop of, like, hunched skeletons yes. with baby faces on the yes. ground below. <laughs> so uh, Sam's visions are getting darker. Yeah. Um. Sam comes home to find that central services have ripped his apartment apart and discovered that someone has fixed his air conditioning for him. Uh, right, which is not allowed. Not allowed. So they leave him with his apartment fucked up. In Sam's dream world, this is when we start to get some problematic elements. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Again, totally, I confess, not something that I picked up on when I was a teenager that upon rewatch, this was the really major thing. Cause like the gender stuff, we've talked about it already. And, and kind of like, like, like as a queer woman, I, I feel like I'm in a position to be like, okay, like I can decide when to take things with a grain of salt, or I can decide like when to, as, as you clearly like instinctively, you were like, in order to cope, I will um create a queer reading of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't allow this to just be a like manic pixie dream girl like Seriously. damsel in distress. So uh, she's an aspect of him. Uh, but then, like, <laughs> yeah, th then so he is like going up against. It, so in his dream, there's like a manifestation of what can only be because like the antagonist of the movie is society, right? Or like the system, which like, yes, you're right. It, there's some American, repeat, there's, there's people with American accents and there's people with British accents. Everyone's white um, in this movie. And it's like, it, you know, maybe it's London, but the, nobody says like what country it is. Um, and then like the, the monster that he has to uh, face in order to rescue his damsel in distress uh, that like represents the like, like definitely white, maybe British, like Western government is like a samurai. Yeah. It's like and this it, big metal samurai. And it is just like, so orientalist and and so like oh well we'll have it be we'll have this monster be represented by this like exotic other and it kind of reminded me of like big trouble in little china where, right. where it's just like oh yeah we'll just have this sort of like 
uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, lazy racist it doesn't make any like, sense i was like it try- also doesn't make sense yeah i was like trying to find because i was like is this like just does this symbolize anything and i was like reading about samurai and i was like this doesn't really make any sense like no I samurai are like honor like actually the de niro character is sort of more like a samurai figure not to be like a total fucking nerd but like no like for samurai are like uh, like uh, you know or like honorable like uh, like assassins for hire essentially right, right? that's so what i was like, thinking i was like isn't a samurai like a noble figure this doesn't this doesn't feel like and it has a very like like r- sort of like racist face at, at, like i know also the all of the little like puppet baby like like baby mask like hunched yeah. over creatures like i i didn't see those babies as necessarily like having like like Asian, like racist Asian features, but like. But if you uh, made the case for it, I wouldn't argue it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like when they're like next to this like sort of samurai samurai monster. So anyway, um, yeah, that that just that that just sucks. It does. Like, so my yeah. no- my note is take that out. It's yeah, it sucks. That's really the only thing to say about it. And the other, so the the samurai. He like has these other people who are enslaved, like Mrs. Buttle. Um, oh yeah, and he kills the samurai. This is the, this is the part where he kills the samurai and unmasks it and sees that it's him, right? Right. So he's everyone in his dream, which I guess like makes sense in a you know like Jungian fashion <laughs> for sure. And then uh, I was also like, oh my god, is the samurai thing just even more stupid than I thought? And it's because his name is Sam. I actually just realized that when I said the word samurai. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So it, I, I wouldn't, I like, th- that might be true. I mean, that is something a, a man would write. All right. <laughs> so fuck that. Fuck, just fuck that part of the movie. Yeah, so, for real. Yeah. Um. Okay. So he awakens to an awfully sung telegram singing telegram um oh, i love that, I love I love that, that lady. lady yeah being invited right. to his mother's party to celebrate her recent cosmetic she has, surgery I'm, i am so uh which i think is iconic <laughs> having a party for your I, own surgery yeah the, true true it's like almost like unintentionally like a yeah it, it's like meant to be grotesque again but it's like but it's yeah like, like i would cool yeah. i would <laughs> I would love that. Um, yeah, I will not to not to focus in. Uh, I know we've been we're like barely even halfway through the movie, but not to focus in. But that that Telegram girl has like mad sex work vibes to me. Like anytime you have someone like in a in a in a film uh, or like like portrayed in in any media where you like see them like putting on the real show, and then like you immediately see their like face fall and see them like sort of standing around like bored like waiting for their tip uh or like 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 changing their accent or whatever i'm just like you're this is great i like i'm a sucker for that yeah she's really good and she's also giving me strong columbia from rocky horror vibes 100 percent, 100 percent. so when he arrives at this party he's like assaulted at the door once again because no one knows who he is um yeah and his mother rescues him looking radiant and younger than ever Yes. Uh, she's wearing a fabulous gown. Love oh, yeah. her. Party is totally surreal. Jim Broadbent, the yeah. plastic surgeon, is gloating. Um, Sam keeps having these like visions of enslaved people from his dream. Yeah. 
um, both Sam's mother and her friend from lunch try to chide Sam into flirting with the headgear daughter, Shirley. <laughs> and it's really funny because Shirley goes, it's all right. I don't like you either. <laughs> I really like that part because, yeah, the idea of like, hey, I've got this like, like, beautiful like dream babe so I'm like not gonna be into you you have braces and then like she gets this little moment of triumph like like, which is like like mutual like points for the movie where she's like she at least has like a little bit of like agency where she's like yeah this thing that our mothers are doing of trying to like shove us together like it's not like a total moment of humiliation for her which I appreciate because usually usually that trope it ends up with like that that girl just being like humiliated for like right. not being hot enough right. to like be worthy of being the you know uh his dream girl so uh yeah i like that she says i don't like you i don't like you very much either right. and yeah the mom's friend i forget the actress's name but her plastic surgery is like bad sort of yeah it's like it's sort of like the the dark shadow of um uh of, of his mom who does become like more and more radiant and glamorous. And then like, you kind of see the, you literally see the stitches, right? You like see her plastic surgery is like not going so well. And yeah, that's definitely like, like misogynistic and ageist where she's like, she's like, Oh, I'm sure I'm going to be very beautiful very soon. Like, yeah. yeah, uh, So that and her fate, we will, we will get to eventually, but. um, Right. So yeah, so there. So he's at this party, and and he wants to accept the promotion. Yes, in in order to get information on his dream girl Jill, which can we just point out is actually stalking. Yes, <laughs> he's at stalking this point, her. fully stalking her. Yeah, he he yeah. runs into um Jack again. There's like a funny part where he thinks that Jack is talking about his wife's tit job, but he's actually talking about her ears. um sam finds mr helpman an older man in a wheelchair from the beginning of the film um and he says he says sam i need your help and then we cut and it's sam helping him take a piss (laughs) (laughs) and sam convinces mr helpman to give him the promotion back in order to get access to jill's classified files so back in dream world sam battles the metal samurai again i'm bored um (laughs) sam goes to his to report to his new position which seems much more ominous than his previous one um he wanders through these like empty concrete corridors i really like this scene where he keeps seeing oh yes frantic men go by Um, really 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 well done yeah and then they finally like sweep him up and his new boss starts like fast talking and multitasking while introducing him to his new department he gets his- this is also this is the best slapstick scene in the movie where and, and it's just like looks simple but is really hard to do this well where like the his his first of all he's like you know he's gotten this promotion and he has his like own office but it's like super tiny and cramped and windowless mm-hmm. and then even when he tries to put his stuff down on his desk it turns out he's sharing a desk with the guy in his own private office next door. And so there's just like all this physical comedy of him, like trying to like yes. yank his desk back. Uh, it just, you, it like has to be seen to be appreciated. But yeah. I, I, I do really love that part. Yeah. So there's that moment. And then he goes next door um, and meets this nervous dude who he's battling over the desk with. 
And the guy also has a poster in his office that says, don't suspect a friend, report him, which I thought was really Oh, yeah. There's also, I I have written down here in my notes that uh, another one of the propaganda posters, which says, suspicion breeds confidence. Yes, it's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Sam asks to borrow this guy's computer, and the man obviously doesn't want him to. And um, he's like, I'll just, I'll do it for you. And so Sam needs info on Jill. The dude is really creepy about it. He's like, oh, girl, huh? Yeah. And while waiting for this creep to give him info about Jill, Sam has another vision of Jill floating in a cage above the city. Uh, When he tries to rescue her, the bricks of the street become sentient and try to pull Mm. him back. And we see that the bricks have the face of Kurtzman. So Mm. he feels like he abandoned him. Um. Sam gets info on Jill that says he needs to go to room 5001 to find out more. So 5001 is a strange place. This is obviously like where they do the interrogations and shit. Um, Oh, yes. There's a woman receptionist and she's like transcribing what sounds like a recorded murder, but is clearly like a... An interrogation, um, and she's that's like another another unfazed. of my yeah. another of my favorite scenes where she's just like type type typing away, and you like see a close up of her transcription of the. Yeah, yeah, and it like I just I, I love that, and uh, I really uh, like again the torture themes of this movie are uh you know listen i'm 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 a fan of good torture uh give me give me give me this over like so-called torture porn any day oh hell yeah i really would like kind of like the way jack is so kind of like cool and sadist about it is pretty hot i won't lie dude totally again michael uh palin is uh is definitely still my favorite part of this movie he's really great and now is his time to shine Yes. So Sam is given permission to see Officer 412 stroke L. And he he enters the room and um, he sees that it's it's Jack. And he's he's got this bloody white smock on. And he's like massaging his own face with this kind of device. Like he's just tortured someone so that the person bled all over him. Yeah. And... He's like, and he's like, oh, I'm so stressed. Yes, he's like, Ugh. <laughs> like just massaging his face, like trying to wind down in his office. Totally. Um, Jack gives Sam like it's nothing, like a Christmas present, and this is another theme of the movie, right? Is like capitalism and Christmas and blah 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 blah. Yeah, I just don't really yeah, care. Yeah. Um, whatever. So one of Jack's small daughters is in his office, uh, one of his triplets. This is, like, funny because he's like, doesn't even know which one it is. And yeah, that's like, yeah, it's one of them. <laughs> and, uh, it also, like, apparently um, he wanted – this was Michael Palin's idea to have his own daughter. Yeah. Because uh, he thought it would make him more sinister to have like a child, Love it. yeah, w- with him during this scene. I I usually don't support the use of children as um, emotional uh, devices uh, in films or really their presence at all. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's very effective but, here, though. But it's, it's it's very it's very effective. Yeah. So Sam asks Jack for info on Jill. Jack and Jill. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Sam learns that Jack is the man who killed Buttle in interrogations. Yeah. He's like, well, I, I didn't know he had a heart condition. 
Like, and then he says, he says again with the critique of bureaucracy. He says he t- really like takes umbrage at the idea, at the suggestion that like he made a mistake. But he's like, they made a mistake. Then they sent me the wrong man. I did my know, job. As, yeah. as as a member of inf- information retrieval, I retrieved the or attempted to retrieve the information. Like so, like. I did the right job and it's not my fault that it was the wrong man. Right. So yeah. uh, Sam, he learns that it's it's him who killed Buttle. He also learns that he's going to interrogate Jill, so meaning torture mm. her, um, because she witnessed Buttle's arrest. So Sam mm-hmm. convinces Jack to let him be the one to get information from Jill. And Jack agrees because he's like always trying to get Sam to – you know, level up. So that's how this ties in mm. now. So Jack gives him like he gives Sam a nicer suit. Um, on mm-hmm. his way to his mm. office, Sam sees policemen cruelly allow a chained suspect to try and escape, like knowing that it would be futile for the the person to escape. To oh oh yeah, that person is in yeah your your hot uh, yeah. straight jacket. Yes, yeah. And um, in the elevator, Sam sees Jill uh, at the entrance to the Ministry of Information, arguing at the front desk again, and he struggles to get out of the elevator, but he's like thwarted at every turn. And he is almost shot and Jill is almost seized by the police. But Sam, like, shows his badge and he leads a confused Jill away and he takes Mm. her outside and gets into her truck. She's very, like, masculine in a way that he's just not. Um, Totally. Like, he gets in the truck. She wants him to get out. Um, This is, like, really funny because uh, Sam – He's like, in my dreams, I dream about you and I love you. And she's like, oh, yeah, you're really cute. Yeah, you're really hot. Like, very, you know, like, using her feminine wiles, maybe the only time in the movie that we, like, really see her do something like that. Um, And Jill, you know, he – she kicks him out of the truck and he refuses to let go. So he's just, like, hanging on to the back and she takes him with her. And there's this like weird dystopian work site that's like a 50s kind of satire um, yeah. of like like suburban uh, education films or ads or whatever because um, everybody's in like hazmat suits and they're building these like terrible little module homes, which is scary because like everybody in fucking SF lives in these fucking things so yeah i was like wow he predicted it um (laughs) and he sees sam sees this man handing off a package to jill and he begins to believe that she is going to commit a terrorist bombing right in the truck he reveals it's only his first day on the job after jill questions him she's like how many terrorists have you actually met because she can tell that he like (laughs) doesn't know anybody outside this world yeah and sam he urges her to drive through a roadblock there's a car chase uh it ends in flames jill and sam escape they go to a mall the ultimate symbol of of society and capitalism Uh, yeah overconsumption right yeah and he implores materialism especially during especially for christmas i mean there's a somebody is holding a sign that says consumers for christ uh (laughs) see this is why i'll allow uh this to be uh, this is like the only 
Besides Die Hard, this is the only Christmas movie I acknowledge because I mean it's, it's a, it's a very critical of Christmas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sam encounters his mother's friend again, who is like now even more grotesque and covered in more yeah. bandages. So every time we see her, she's like more and more grotesque. Yeah. Suddenly, a bomb goes off, and Sam immediately searches for Jill among the grisly wreckage, and he accuses her of bombing the store. Um, Jill throws the package at him indignantly like it's not a bomb it's a bribe for information officials for when she gets interrogated basically yeah Um, Jill tries to her first instinct Jill's first instinct is to help an injured old woman um, Mm. which very much puts her in contrast like if we see how inhuman these bureaucrats are to people um, yeah, it's like a direct contrast with her because she's always asking people if they're okay, like the old woman, yeah. Mrs. Buttle, totally, etc. So Tina and I took a little break in this episode because <laughs> there was a lot going on here. Uh, we're catching up, and uh, Sam, when we left, when we left off last time, Sam and Jill were <laughs> in the mall. <laughs> A uh, bomb had gone off. Extreme announcer voice. Right. <laughs> Last time. Last time on Brazil. <laughs> tries, she tried to help an injured woman, uh, which oh, she's always trying to help people. And totally. It's part of her character. And Butch is always trying to help people. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Butch is to the rescue. Yeah. Even when they are sort of manic pixie dream girls. Yes. And even when they are maybe like supposed to be Sam. <laughs> oh yes. When they're like a like a hetero social projection. I'm reaching. Anyway, yeah, go on. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the ministry comes and seizes Jill. Mm-hmm. And Sam has another vision of himself fighting the problematic metal samurai. (laughs) We all have our problematic samurais to face. (laughs) (laughs) And and he vanquishes the samurai. And then he uh, wakes up in what I think is the most horny scene in that truck carrying all the prisoners. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Tell us, tell us how horny the uh like straight jacket truck i don't know i just really did it for me like sam can you can you describe it for the people who haven't seen the movie yeah so so there's this uh he's in this police truck and sam is like free um i'm assuming because he's part of the ministry and the cops are you know kind of just like hanging out in the truck mocking everybody all the prisoners But this truck is kind of – it looks like a almost like a meat freezer where there's totally. like bags hanging on hooks from the ceiling of the truck. Yeah. But in these bags are people who uh-huh. are like straight jacketed and chained and uh, hanging from the ceiling of this truck. And I just thought it was pretty hot. And what about this is horny to you? <laughs> 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 is this something you would like to do to this, your friends? I mean, is this, this your is, idea of a birthday party? This is my idea. Like, I would really like to be driving in this truck, 
like free mm. while all of these sure people are uh hanging from the ceiling of this truck and i just kind of you know push their little bags around <laughs> oh my god <laughs> This is like amazing. Me trying to find horny things in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the 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 as we talked about last time, uh this movie is maybe the least horny in the like text of like maybe any not to be self-aggrandizing, but maybe of any movie you've done on this show. Yeah. Um, but 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 because but because <laughs> but because there's so much torture and um, you know, institutional horror, um, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty to jerk off to. We can find it. Yeah, like this it's just scene. a little bit, you know. Yeah. You just have to be, you know, it's the it's the pervert challenge. It's the pervert challenge. I mean, that's kind of I, I always challenge myself to find the perv in every movie. And this was the it's moment not, for me. I feel like it's maybe not that much of a challenge for you. No, it's definitely not, not that much of a challenge for me. You've been in training. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So so Sam, so Sam, if I remember correctly, is like uh he he thinks that jill must be in one of the bags so there's this also this tension of like there's all these anonymous people and sorry if you can hear it's garbage day um every day is garbage day um in my neighborhood okay so so there's this also this like really interesting tension i think of like sam is like trying to identify the people in the bags to try to find Jill. And like, by the way, he's like much less concerned with being confronted with these like egregious crimes of the state than he is with like finding the object of his sexual obsession. He like, he'll like find what it's like one guy and he's like, Oh no, well you're, you're like not that girl. So I'll just like leave you here to like, Rot. Be tortured and die. Right. Like, bye. Yeah. Yes, which is very Sam. So, very Sam. Right. Very, very much his character. The cops are kind of annoyed with him and they knock him out. <laughs> and back at the ministry, Sam's boss kind of goes in on him. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam goes to Jack to ask for information on Jill, who thinks that Tuttle and Jill are in league. And he says to mm. Sam, he's like, you know, we've always gotten along, but like until this all blows over, just stay away from me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam agitated has a freak out in his office, causing him to jam those male pipes, whatever they're called, those male tubes. And, oh, yeah. The pneumatic tubes. Right. And there's like a weird moment where the male like rains down, showers down mm-hmm. in the department. Mm hmm. Back at his apartment, the AC guys are back, the evil AC men, and they've taken over the flat and essentially evicted him. And all of a sudden, outside his apartment, Sam sees Tuttle breaking into the main heating apparatus for the building, causing the AC guy's suits to fill with, like, a gross liquid. It's shit. It's shit. It's shit. He literally says it's like the sewer pipes. Okay, so I didn't catch that. So he is. Yeah, so so it's actually shit. Yeah. Did Um, you find this part erotic? No. (laughs) Shit bondage suffocation? No. I mean, like erotic generally, but not erotic to me, but like definitely horny. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good distinction. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and the like put it put it in your like whatever the spank bank equivalent is of like things to threaten people with erotically you know <laughs> like if you're the, bad you're gonna go in the plastic suit filled with your own shit exactly and <laughs> they, they fill up these suits with the with shit and they drown in their own suits <laughs> and then they kind of like he like kind of blows them up <laughs> amazing and suddenly this is like yeah. i feel like the end of this movie is when it starts to get super surreal um suddenly yes. jill is there and sam and jill almost kiss but tuttle interrupts to say goodbye as he bungees away <laughs> <laughs> um sam takes jill to his mother's house and they begin gorgeous to- by the way gorgeous house i love her house palatial yes they begin to make out there's like swelling music, colored lights, but then Sam all of a sudden like blocks it, tells her to lock the doors and wait for him and runs out of the house. He's had an idea. He's had an idea. So he's going back to the ministry where the police officers, this is like kind of funny, the police officers it's are funny. rehearsing carols in a choir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam uses, there's this ghost in the machine clue from earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From um to find Helpman's office because Helpman says something earlier about the ghost in the machine, and I forget exactly like what he does, what he how he uses that clue. I think it's like a code. It's a he uses little for the vague. elevator. Yeah, it's vague. Yeah. Um, he, we he gets to Helpman's office. Helpman is not there, but he does see a picture of his mother on Helpman's desk. I was wondering if you mm-hmm. had any idea what that could mean. Um, I think that he, I just think it's like, he's always been in love with her. And that Mm. is the only reason that he's looking out for Sam. Ah, that makes, okay. I get it. That makes sense. So I was thinking maybe Helpman was his father or something. Oh, yeah, that could be it. Yeah. So he is able to delete. So Helpman's not there. So he goes into Helpman's computer system and he's able to le- to delete Jill from the computer system, making her f- f- essentially dead in the world. Right. Right. Um, which he thinks is going to fix everything. And back at his mother's right. house, Jill is all beautiful. She's got long blonde hair. She's in white. Um, mm. Sam tells she Jill. She appears more to be the woman from his his fantasy like yes. she has now it's a, it's like slight vertigo energy right mm-hmm. that's a good <laughs> point like, yeah it's like she she's like holed up in his mom's house and so she just like go starts going through all this glamorous stuff and like happens to put on this blonde wig and yeah when he when he when he shows up she's like no longer furiosa now she's like this like icy hitchcock blonde like ethereal woman from his dreams and like now maybe may, so like what's what's the <laughs> psychoanalysis of this moment that, like now that she has like become this like f- like ethereal femme aspect of his dreams now they can consummate their love right. I, I don't i don't know right now that she's more feminine <laughs> they can <laughs> they can actually have sex uh, and, and like maybe he's like learned the power of self-respect by like infiltrate by, by like starting to like subvert 
his job instead of just like going along with right. the institution. And so that get makes that like curious is like impotent nature. I don't know. Mm, okay. That also makes sense because he was like a little pathetic kind of unsexed underling. And totally. And now he's, you know, kind of got some bravado. Um everybody knows the revolution like just just increases your libido. It's true. And <laughs> Sam tells Jill he killed her in the system. And she says, care for a little necrophilia. it's so ridiculous okay so then there's this like sort of proverbial pan to the fireplace right like you don't actually like there's no explicit sex yeah but it's like clear that they've had sex yeah they have sex in that canopy bed and there's like all those shots of fabrics Mm -hmm. and and like a shot of fabric Mm -hmm. closing like vaginally too um (laughs) and we see sam like flying with jill in his arms and his dream uh, and but in the middle of their sex, the ministry bursts through and takes them prisoner. And um, we hear some shots. We're unclear if Jill was the victim of those shots. And mm. Sam is now in a giant panopticon-like structure. Um, this is my favorite. This is this is my favorite like setting in the movie. Yeah, this, and it's now Sam, in IKEA. Sam in the panopticon. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, the, the panopticon is now in IKEA, but Sam is in this panopticon. I, which you know, is very like it's the the the. Can can you go into a little bit detail about what the panopticon is? Do we do either of us remember from school? Well, it, uh, oh, what the well isn't a, a a panopticon is when you have a prisoner and you can see the. It's like a big space where you can see a prisoner or many prisoners, um, like behind, like either behind a glass wall or like, in this case, he's like at the end of like a catwalk, mm-hmm. so he's like partially imprisoned by like empty space. Um, but I forget what I I know that that is like what that word refers to, but I forget is it a reference to something? Yeah. So um, it is. The it's a type of institutional building designed by English philosopher and social theorist Jeremy Bentham in the 18th century. Mm. It's like the foundation School of school me, right? <laughs> it's the foundation of you can see like the original drawing. Like oh, cool, cool. It's the foundation of modern um, imprisonment. Basically, I mean, not cool. Imprisonment's right. <laughs> not cool, guy. Okay. Um, it's basically. Um, so I'm just reading from actually from the ethics center. The panopticon Mm. is a disciplinary concept brought to life in the form of a central observation tower placed within a circle of prison cells from the tower. A guard can see every cell and inmate, but the inmates can't see into the tower. Prisoners will never know whether or not they are being watched. Yeah. So that's, that's, um, that's, relevant to our modern times right yeah so it's well, i mean like the, circular... the idea of the idea of prison not only as <clears throat> or bondage or being like you know uh like hidden away from the world but also being surveilled 24 7 and like being robbed of any semblance of privacy the, the like extreme cruelty of that is 
uh, yeah, relevant to this story and relevant to our times for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And in this in this Panopticon, it's like slightly different because Sam is in the center of it. Yeah, and it's but it definitely looks like a traditional Panopticon drawing. Um, where you would have like a circular, like all of basically the the prisoners are in cells in a circular formation so that like whoever is in the center can see them at all times. Um, yeah, I mean, there's something really terrifying about like, I don't think you ever see what is below the catwalk and then like the central space where Sam is in this torture chair device, but it it feel there's something really awful about being captured but surrounded by empty space mm-hmm. but that empty space doesn't represent freedom because it is enclosed and also if you were to like jump off of it you know it seems like probably you would like jump to your death or certainly that you would be like further trapped and not be able to escape so especially for someone who's fantasy of freedom is centered around the imagery of flying Mm. it's like a very cruel design yeah that's a really good point too yes and it's very creepy and this is basically where people get tortured um but i love i love the like design of his torture chair that's a very on brand sentence for me like i he has there's this uh, sort of almost like helmet that goes down over his head that has these almost sort of like geiger metal organic like bars Mm -hmm. to them and then you know there's your like classic tray of nasty looking implements Mm -hmm. and it's just uh yeah it's totally the stuff of nightmares yeah it's and to make it even more horrible the person who's strapping salmon says if you hold out too long it'll jeopardize your credit rating oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) that that again that is like a very that line is a very good example of the way that brazil of the way that brazil influenced my comic safe sex right the idea of like like institutional violence the relationship between institutional violence and bureaucracy Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's just that very dark comedy that I mean, I I that was like one of the moments in the movie where I like really laughed because um, totally. <laughs> I can see that happening <laughs> like Absolutely. for real. <laughs> uh, Absolutely, Jack in one of those baby masks approaches Sam to begin torturing him, um, and Sam pleads as J- Jack gets kind of like weird and irate. And something yeah. I f- found kind of interesting about Jack is like he's he's mad at Sam for making him do this to him. And he says this totally. is a professional relationship. And something that I think is like unsaid in, in Jack's character is like mm-hmm. how much it fucks you up to do things like this to people and how totally. he has to have this like veneer of like having it together and that this is like a professional thing. But he's yeah. so obviously insane from this work. Um, and you can totally see it. and he right. it, 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 it makes me think of it makes me think of the the scene where he's like very almost like neurotically insistent that like nobody does anxiousness better than Michael Palin and he's mm-hmm. like 
well, you know, I didn't kill the wrong man. They brought me the wrong man. So I killed the right man, like according to the forms. And then he's like, he's like annoyed at Sam that he now has to like go through the the psychological anguish of having to like torture and possibly kill his friend. Right. And and he's, he's just like disassociating and like displacing the blank. It's like, why did you have to get yourself into the situation? So now I have to like be fucked up by what I now have to do as my duty. Right. And like, instead the greater question is why do you live in a government that tortures people? Yeah, And are you, and like, 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 why are you making, why are you bending over backwards to explain why you are not complicit? Right. Right. That you're just following orders. He's about to be so Sam is about to be tortured by Jack when Harry Tuttle and his posse break through and kill Jack, shooting him in the head and freeing Sam. There's like an epic shootout. So now let me go ahead. So wait, let me ask you a question. Yes. So this is the this is the crucial point of the movie that is relevant to the studio censorship. Yes. So do you want to describe the rest of the movie and then we'll go back retroactively? That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. How it changes it? Okay, cool. But like like important for folks following along at home. This is the moment where like Jack is like ready to start torturing Sam and then Tuttle and all of his like radical associates like break in that there is like a a crucial break in the movie and a crucial break in the like notorious like different edits of this movie so keep that in mind so yes proceed so Tuttle breaks in with his posse they kill Jack free Sam there's a shootout Uh, Sam and Harry kind of epically like blow up the ministry Um, Sam is chased through the city to a funeral um, and mm. we see that the funeral. Great scene! Oh, this scene this is, is great. so good. We see that the funeral is for his mother, who is alive now, but like looks like Jill, <laughs> and it's oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. she has Jill's face, but the funeral is for her. So it's like a funeral for her old body or something. That's right. That's right. It's very surreal. You kind of know yes. at this point that something's going on. That's not like it's it, not... It, the, the pace of the movie they've done. I think that this this is one of the things that is genius about the movie. Terry Gilliam is a lot of things, uh, and uh, that and we could like critique a lot of things about him. But his like mastery, I think, is in his control of like absurdity and surrealism, right? And like the as you pointed out, like before this moment, the absurdity and surrealism has been escalating but it's like kind of still plausible but then all of a sudden things are going at like a much more rapid pace and you kind of feel all of a sudden like all of these like genre conventions are like accelerating where you're like this is way more of an action adventure than it's been before and also there's a little bit of dream logic where you like are in one place and then you go through a door and you're in another place, but you just kind of like keep going. And then everything is very like emotional and relevant to your life. But then some things from your life are like fusing together in like horrific ways. Right. Yes. Very much. Yeah, and Freudian that- and Freudian ways. Like, yeah. Your yeah. Mom you start- and your dream girl. 
being fused. Right. It starts to escalate. And by the point that we get to the funeral, we feel like, okay, something else is going on here. And he, the SWAT team breaks into the funeral, hunting down Sam, who accidentally like overturns this, the pink casket of rotting remains. <laughs> and it's so yeah. gross. Uh, it's incredible. He falls through the casket, I think, into yeah. another part of the city. So we're like, okay, something very surreal is going on here. There's like yeah. a surreal landscape of high rises. Like from his vision. And again, we see those Ooh. horrible visions of those hunched baby skeleton people and Ooh. the enslaved people coming for him. He goes through a door and is suddenly in a modular home on the back of Jill's truck. So the two ride into the sunset as the Brazil song plays. Jill is cradling Sam in her arms in a way that is very masculine. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, this could, this is also evidence of how Jill kind of represents Sam's own idealized self mm-hmm. um, and his deeply repressed conscience. Finally, <clears throat> um, he snaps back to reality after this fantasy he's had, and we see that Jack. Oh yeah, but the last thing, but the last thing, the last thing that you see is like uh, really it, it, it like gets to this like height of absurdism where they've like escaped and then you see this like wide shot of this like country home where they've like it seems like they've escaped from the city and now they're just like living happily ever after in this like gorgeous country home yes and then yes and then there's this like rude awakening and we're back in the panopticon so right. he, he's snapped back to reality and we actually see that Jack and Mr. Helpman have been torturing him so much that he's lost his mind. So yeah. uh, and that is where his fantasy was coming from. And, you know, they kind of were just like, OK, well, that one's gone. Uh, you know, like they're kind of, you know, Mr. Helpman and Jack are just kind of like, oh, well, like he's totally crazy now. Um, yep. His mind is like totally broken. But on the upside, it's the one place into which the ministry cannot intrude. That's why Mr. Heltman says at the end, I think he got away from us. Sam's life may be destroyed, but at least he is beyond the ministry's reach. By going insane, Sam escapes his hopeless world in the only way possible through madness. So, and that is the (laughs) end of Brazil, as I've seen it. So, Tina... What are some of the differences in the other versions? So here's the deal. Okay. So like there is a, there's a great tradition in fiction of the sort of deeply, the, the like deep situational irony of following the catharsis of a, of a character of the protagonist escaping from the situation only to discover that the escape that you've been witnessing and enjoying was actually their like last fantasy or their like, uh, you know, like represents like the disassociative like madness that is occurring. Right. So the, the, the ultimate version of this is the occurrence at Owl Street Bridge or is that what it's called? Occurrence at Owl Street Bridge? Owl Street, Owl Creek. Oh my God. What's Owl Creek. Yes. And the, 
the the ultimate example of this is an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, right? So, it, which is a famous, I think, short story, and then I think there's a Twilight Zone episode of it. Let me see. But we're basically like the entire story is like someone escaping from being hung, and then in the last second, you realize that it is like their like last fantasy, like before death, right? So. So that is what is actually happening in the movie Brazil is the the last like maybe like 10 minute sequence of Sam escaping is is it is like him going mad from right. torture right and and which is to- which is totally fitting for the movie because the whole movie is about escaping your oppressive circumstances through a rich fantasy life. So it completely makes sense for his character that this is what he would do. And it is also very fitting for the movie that it's ultimately like not offering you a sort of star Wars fantasy of like the rebellion, like conquering the empire and like, you know, and then like everything's just, immediately fine because the rebels won right like right. it's not necessarily i think like a critique of that but it's just like the, the the point of the movie brazil is definitely like like shit's bleak and it's gonna stay bleak and this is perhaps like a cautionary tale if nothing else so and that's to me so to me that's very compelling right it's a it's a it's it's compelling it's consistent it's what makes the movie interesting and when the studios saw the movie they were like "Ooh, this ending it's a bit dark bleak yeah so what if we just take off this little like ironic coda reveal and we make it so that this whole surrealist dream sequence is literally happening in the context of the story and they like released that and that version is now known like derisively as the love conquers all okay so like listen this the the history of cinema is the history of like censorship people yeah the people who were in charge like like censorship but specifically like like the people in charge like really fucking not like getting the point and like not getting to to the point to like to the to the point that they are like like performing the role of the villain in the movie they've just watched yeah and the whole thing about (laughs) movie producers is like and people who control the film industry is like they're not artists they're rich totally. people so they don't they have no it, yeah they're they're like they become those villains that film is parodying it's interesting because film has such a history of parodying those people and yeah. like exposing them and yet those are the people that like control the way that we view film (laughs) 100% and I mean I just I think that you know we could come up with a list of examples of movies where the studio changed the ending or made like a major change to the movie in a way that clearly ruined the movie but this is 
I think maybe the most egregious example of this in the history of cinema because most that I can think of it like it's taking something that is intended like the 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 ending sequence is intended to send a very specific message and to like remove the irony from that sequence not only changes the message but it changes the entire movie and it like it be it's like beyond cheapens it yes and so i and i think that it just is like the most egregious example that i can think of of execs like just just having like no like art in their souls right <laughs> basically yeah and being um, the fucking but, but villains luckily, but luckily and being the fucking villains now luckily gilliam is you know gilliam was prepared to just be like like he doesn't care if they think that he's difficult. He's like not going to make this concession. So as you talked about last time in the history of this movie, like Gilliam figured out a way for people to see the movie as intended. And its legacy is very much like as intended. Yes. Um, but it's like, it really, it is really fascinating to think about what, if you've seen this movie, like what it would have been like to see it, thinking that that was the ending right i think i probably would have walked out of the theater and been like well that was crap because i would have felt like the entire thing had been negated at the end of the film um this i'm obviously much prefer the dark torture ending i mean it's very disturbing (laughs) like it's yeah it's one of the more disturbing endings of a film that i've seen um, but also there's like kind of a weird hopeful element to it because you're like, well, they can never get, they can never destroy your imagination. They can never occupy your mind. Like that is the only place that he can go to his fantasy life to get away totally from this torture. Um, I wonder totally. how they were torturing him. <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't see any, like, it's not graphic at all on the on on the outside of his body. No, I mean, there's also. Go ahead. I was gonna say that fits with the movie because you don't. It's just not a very. It's things are more implied in the film than true. You actually see. Totally. Yeah, I actually, I wonder, um, like, if we think about it in the vein of occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, it almost would be like he just, like, went mad instantly. Mm. That they actually never did torture him. He just, like lost it that he was just like this is this is it like <laughs> yeah this I, is I've, too much to deal know, with this is it for me yeah 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 wow brazil we did it brazil yeah i mean i mean i think i think that's what i wanted to say about that yeah um 
wow, really like long movie full of just absolute like rich text. Like it's just impossible to not talk about that movie for as long as the movie is. Um, did you so let so let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, did so you were saying that you saw this for the first time for this podcast and you were kind of like, eh, I don't think I really like this. Did talking about it make you like it more? Well, I think talking about it made me I I think I always appreciated it. Like even when I was like I don't know if I love mm. this, I was like I can really see all of these great things in it and why people love it. I don't think talking about about it made me like it more, but I definitely feel like I can um maybe not I can maybe dislike it for reasons that are smart instead of reactionary. Like I have very pointed reasons why I don't love this movie. Um and <laughs> instead of just like, nah, there's too many men. Which <laughs> just like always my like stupid go-to if I don't like something. <laughs> so I definitely and I feel like I talking to somebody who who is passionate about the movie definitely helps me appreciate it more also totally totally um my roommate loves this movie and we were kind of arguing about why she loves it and why i didn't love it and she just loves like how accurate the the whole bureaucracy is because that is what it feels like when you're trying to get something done that part is very on the like very on the money for me like don't you yeah. know, don't hold out too long it'll affect your credit report like that's really funny <laughs> i like i like those moments and totally yeah yeah i also i think i like it as a as a message about like well like one takeaway for me from the movie is if you have to live in an oppressive society. You gotta have friends, man. <laughs> like if you like yeah. if you don't have friends, you're gonna lose your fucking mind. Like Sam, yeah. Like Sam. Yeah. No, you have to have friends and you have to have a a backbone and a set of values. <laughs> also, yeah. like you yeah. you can't just go with the flow of whatever this insane society is telling you you have to be okay with um like yeah you have to have your own mind basically i mean it's just like a very like um like white dudes take on classicism and oppression right like like we said True. like i was saying last time like you know it's like, oh, well, they can never take your imagination. And it's like, okay, well, sort of. I mean, like, if you're a white dude, like, that might be easy for you. But actually, they have, like, the entities that be have effectively colonized, like, the queer and, like, BIPOC imagination. Like, we struggle as people to have fantasies and – um like inner lives that are not dictated by white supremacy and patriarchy like 
that's that's the fucking truth, man. Right? Like even, you know, our own fantasies we chastise ourselves for like why is this, you know, why am I thinner in this fantasy? Why am I whiter in this fantasy? You know, like it's mm-hmm. It's easy to say that if, like, you are, we're all oppressed living in this world, like, even straight white men. However, like, it's easy to say that when, like, however oppressed you are, everything that exists still caters for you. So, to you. So, think about, like, how much that would suck being as oppressed as you are, and also, like, everyone fucking hates you and, like, hates how you look, like, literally just because you exist. So, like, that's word. Right. So I think that is, like, my main issue with this movie is it's just, like, a yeah. very kind of um, – I as, a like, a radical anarchist person, like, I deeply relate and to the sentiments expressed. I just yeah. feel that it doesn't – there isn't a deeper analysis, which is okay. Like, a movie doesn't have to do everything. But – yeah, just you know. Well, and also we can we, we like we 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 also we can take those messages that you know even and you know what you're saying like also goes back to the idea of like Terry Gilliam had to deal with all of the censorship of this movie, but like he also somehow figured out a way to like make the movie that he wanted to make exactly. and like, yes. <laughs> and have it ended up being like a revered classic yes. without having to ultimately like make those concessions. Exactly. So like maybe we can like take a cue from both the like history of the production, the creation and production of this movie. And then also the movies themes that like your fantasies, are yours and they belong to you and no one can take them away from you. And then we could like maybe apply them to like um, less oppressive fantasies. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good (laughs) note to end on. Um, Tina, where can everyone find you and your work on social media and other, other places? So the number one thing that I would want people to check out is my comic book it's called safe sex you can either find it by searching for the comic safe sex by tina horn or it is sometimes spelled sfsx and volume one of safe sex which is called protection is available now in late as of late 2020 uh wherever books and comic books are sold please contact your local book or comic book store and ask them about it. And uh, so, yeah. And if you like the movie Brazil, chances are you will like safe sex, my yeah. sci-fi sex rebel comic book series. I mean, your comic um, book is like if Brazil was written by uh, a queer freak. I mean, that's <laughs> literally what it is. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Um, but, th- but thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, and then my podcast is Why Are People Into That? And you can listen to that wherever you pod. And my social media is at Tina Horn's Ass. Yeah. That's T I N A S A S S. Wait, uh, 
uh, T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. I fucked up my own fucking <laughs> handle. Horns ass. T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N-S-A-S-S. And I am so fucking dyslexic. And um, <laughs> I can't even spell my own goddamn name. And, uh, you know, that's me on Twitter and Instagram. And then my website is tinahorn.net. And that is me. That's me. That's who I am. That's what I do. That's the entirety of my existence. Great. <laughs> and you know where to find me, as always, Girls Guts Giallo on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, join my Patreon, patreon.com slash Girls Guts Giallo. Um, you know, if you like. Great Patreon. Huh? What'd great Patreon. Oh, great great so content. Much. Thank you so much. And yeah, we do two live viewings a month and I try to release two episodes a month. And then I also release a newsletter and a bonus episode. And I'm a little bit late on my bonus content from August. So to reward you all, I posted a video of my date and I drowning each other. So check that out uh, to tide you over. (laughs) And I'll see you guys next time. Bye, Tina. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. 